What's up, QAA listeners? The fun games have begun. I found a way to connect to the internet. I'm sorry, boy. Welcome, listener, to the 95th chapter of the QAnon Anonymous podcast, the Andy No Antifa episode. As always, we are your hosts, Jake Rokotansky, Annie Kelly, Julian Fields, and Travis View. As we all struggle to decipher the gasoline puddle of modern political discourse, unscrupulous right-wing grifters are multiplying, and all of them seem hell-bent on making a boogeyman of Antifa, the decentralized anti-fascist movement growing in popularity as the country teeters rightwards. Instrumental in this demonization is right-wing agitator Andy No, who made his name by getting punched and having a milkshake dumped on him at a Proud Boys rally in Portland. His newfound role as a victim was embraced by the right-wing media sphere, hungry for a figure willing to speak out against, quote, Antifa violence instead of challenging the power structure. This week, Annie Kelly will explore Andy's rise and give us a broader understanding of why anti-fascism seems to be on everyone's tongue. But before all that... QAnon News. Police officer in Bellevue, Washington, promotes QAnon in full riot gear. Another QAnon cop. (laughs) Unfortunately, on June 2nd, Officer Nicholas Roche of the Bellevue, Washington Police Department posted a selfie in full riot gear and used Easy Meme Maker to add the QAnon (laughs) slogan, where we go one, we go all, to the image. Since he was posting from his personal Twitter with his real name, people quickly found his public Facebook profile as well. It served to verify the officer's previous jobs at the Honolulu Police Department and Washington State Patrol because he, he had this habit of like posting the actual badge when he left and putting a black band across it like he was leaving it. Unclear why, but it just it literally just his profile pictures themselves just told you what departments he had worked in previously. So it was uh, I mean, not the best choice. No, uh, maker, you, it you seems. think you think a police officer would be a little bit better at OPSEC. You know, his Twitter contained, of yeah. course, more far right conspiracy theory material claiming George Floyd's murder was a hoax and proning hydrochloroquine as a cure for COVID-19. One of the images Officer Roche posted featured a giant Q flag with an armed Pepe in a soldier's uniform and the hashtag in it together. Oh, he's so on the boards. He's he is absolutely it. on it. This alongside an image of Willy Wonka with the text, oh, you're rioting and looting for George? Floyd or Soros? Oh, my God. So <laughs> after being made aware, yeah, <laughs> stop using that fucking Willy. Uh, he's a beautiful man. Don't. Uh, oh, after man, being if made only, aware. If only Gene Wilder knew. Yeah. That his, he's being his image shit, is, is just shit being just fucking desecrated daily. <laughs> After being made aware of the content, the Bellevue Police Department placed him on, quote, administrative leave. Police Chief Milet, who seems totally trustworthy, has stated, quote, we will allow the investigators to do their work fully and completely and will take appropriate actions. Now, the QAA podcast has repeatedly contacted the Bellevue PD in an attempt to explain the QAnon content that Nicholas Roche posted and why it might be an issue to have a guy like that just walking around with a gun. Uh, surprisingly, they have not gotten back to us. So, <laughs> your move. Next story. Uh, QAnon killer deemed mentally unfit for trial. Oh, this is a bad precedent. No, yeah. <laughs> with that, I, I think that headline is misleading. It, it should read, with the help of Travis View, QAnon killer deemed <laughs> mentally unfit. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. Roast him on main. <laughs> All right. Um, Anthony Camello, the 25-year-old QAnon follower facing a murder charge in New York for killing reputed uh, mob boss Frank Cali was deemed too uh, mentally incompetent to be tried. 
Uh, in general, a determination of mental incompetence means that the defendant can't aid in his defense and doesn't understand the charges against him. Whoa, he doesn't get to hold up his hand with messages anymore? No, no. They can't say <laughs> he sent me anymore. His lawyer is basically like, we need to modify this so you need so you can shut the fuck up permanently about anything. <laughs> So, uh, however, it is not unusual to defendants initially deemed unfit uh, to be able to participate in the case. Uh, Justice William E. Garnett ordered Camille transferred to a state office of mental health facility for further evaluation. And his next court update is July 13th. So this story isn't over. I did not. Yeah. I did not. It may be that it's not, not a precedent. him off of this. You got him off. It. No, I don't think so. Well, you got this guy off, certainly. I don't think so. And then and then potentially you also, yeah, got him out of trouble. All right, fine. Let's move <laughs> well, on. Well, but you know, but he's going to be like in whatever, you know, whatever facility he goes into is all this shit's like happening. He's going to be like, this is the storm. You guys don't realize like I was, yeah. t- you know what this I mean? Like, hap- yeah, right. All the chaos around him. Yeah, it's probably a bad time to try and deprogram someone. Oh, oh my God. I don't Boy. know. I think Travis in a room with this guy a few hours. <laughs> Travis yeah. could do it. You could I, do it. I could do it. I could, you no, could I do could it. Talk I, sense into no it. I have like 100% faith that you, that you could. <laughs> I could reach him. Hey. Hey, kid, you're a fucking hero. You killed a mob boss. Lay <laughs> off the QAnon shit. <laughs> yeah, what you did was re- was really actually pretty impressive. <laughs> you don't need that Donald Trump was sending you secret messages. You killed a mob boss. Like, we need, that, that we should need be somebody, good enough. Uh, we need somebody in, like, full prosthesis to go in as Don Corleone and just, like, talk him down. <laughs> it can't be me, though. It can't be me because I would go in there and be like, hey, man, have you heard about the greys that live under this prison? <laughs> <laughs> For my next story, K-pop stands disrupt QAnon hashtags on Twitter. So uh, this past week, super fans of Korean pop music had a surprisingly <laughs> active role in disrupting social media and police communications. On Sunday, uh, K-pop stands on Twitter spammed a request from the Dallas Police Department for, quote, video of illegal activity from the protests with videos uh, that are known as fan cams. And these are apparently short clips of K-pop concerts. The Dallas PD shut down the app soon afterwards. Aww. So they they also uh, activated when uh, 4chan users plotted to get the hashtag uh, Whiteout Wednesday trending on Twitter in order to distract from the nationwide protest and spread white nationalist propaganda. While those hashtags did trend, the people who clicked on them probably just saw a social media feed full of Korean pop stars dancing on stage. That's awesome. A- after that, they turned their sights to the hashtags Where We Go One, We Go All, and QAnon. So this naturally bewildered some QAnon followers <laughs> such as Joe M under his new Twitter handle Sheep No More, who said this. This is a new one. Deep State is spamming the QAnon hashtag with bots posting generic gifs and dancing Asians. <laughs> <laughs> it floods the feed and drowns the real info. The real info. Hashtag war. I see moving uh, Mongolians. I see... Uh, I see the ancient Asian people rising up like the Hun once more. Uh, for my next story, uh, QAnon followers spread bizarre conspiracy theories about the George Floyd murder and subsequent protests. The, the whole uh, you know chaos in the past couple of weeks have really caused a lot of QAnon followers to just totally peel away from reality. Um, uh, for example, perhaps you've seen the shocking video and images of like uh, police brutality at these protests. Uh, one of the especially shocking videos was captured in Buffalo, New York, where marching officers in riot gear could be seen pushing a 75 year old man, uh, sending him tumbling back and knocking his head to the ground, causing him to go limp in blood to pool on the pavement. Uh, the blood was coming straight out of his ear. Yeah. 
immediately, which means that there's internal yeah, hemorrhaging. Yeah, it was really horrific. It was. So, um, uh, but if I could just, sorry, Travis, I have to interject and, and let you know if you want, if, if people are interested in like what the boomer take on this is, I, I, I talked about it with my boss, oh, yeah. who is like a, you know, in his mid 60s, like liberal, you know, uh-huh. liberal boomer. And he's, and I was like, did you see the cops fucking like push the old guy over and his like head fucking busted open? My boss was like, uh, all right, now don't exactly. He was bleeding out of his ear. It, his head didn't bust open. Like, don't what? exaggerate. <laughs> He's bleeding out and of I his ear. And I was ear? like, his Holy ear is so much worse. Yeah, fucking that's shit. So much worse. These people like, are absolute you, fascists. They're like, waiting. You absolute <laughs> monster, yeah. dude. I was yeah, like, I almost, I was oh, like, just like, oh no, it's short- just, it just means his brain's bleeding. No big deal. Like. Which- which, yeah, which basically means he's with QAnon on this one, like by 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 degrees. Right. It is it is yeah. It's basically a, a difference of like a, you know degree, not of kind. It's yeah. the same thing. It's not real denialism. Yeah. Um, shortly after, he asked me to clean the kitty litter box. So. Um, if you could subscribe on Patreon, <laughs> oh my God, Please, I, I wanted to, qu- I want to quit so bad. So uh, uh, the, the 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 man who was injured, is, his name is Martin Gug- uh, Gugino, and uh, he's last reported to be in serious but stable condition and perfectly alert. Uh, Buffalo police initially claimed in a statement that Gugino uh, tripped, but when it be- became clear that was obvious horseshit. Uh, because it was captured on video, two officers were charged with second-degree assault and have since pleaded not guilty. But many QAnon followers, at least those who were too weak to confront the reality of police violence, instead insisted that the entire incident was staged, despite being filmed. Uh, A popular theory amongst QAnon followers, which they aggressively promoted in the replies to reports uh, about the incident, was that Gugino was wearing a blood pack, which he activated when he when he fell to the concrete, giving the illusion that he was injured by the police. For example, here is one tweet promoting that theory by a QAnon follower named FL Mom Maga. She links a conservative treehouse article and writes, The feeble old man that was pushed down and bleeding from his ear, he was busted for trying to hack the police radio signal, and the blood thing was fake. He had a blood pack, squib in parentheses, which is the correct terminology, on the back of his head and a line that runs through the mask to his ear. So, yeah, they there's also like, you know, they do red lines. They take individual frames to try to understand why it's fake and stuff. Yeah, they've just got like an arrow there just pointing to the back of the guy's head as far as I can tell. Yeah. As yeah. if, as if that that, that clarifies shows the squib. <laughs> it shows it's supposed to show the the lump from the squib that was installed there in advance for when he was going to fall on the exact spot of his the back of his head when he was pushed. It's horrifying, you know. It's like a lot of these kooky QAnon theories. Like I think I usually have a pretty thick skin when reading about this, but like this shit is like it makes me feel like if you like see another human being get obviously injured, you are a dangerous per. You think it's fake? Yeah, you are a dangerous person because mm. yeah. like because you because that leads me to believe that you are comfortable seeing people get badly injured. I don't know. It's still a baffling phenomenon to me. For my next story, popular QAnon Twitter account that claims to have explosive DC dirt is really just a random Italian guy. (laughs) (laughs) This was great reporting by uh, Craig Silverman for BuzzFeed News. This feels like one of those automatic tweets where it's like everything is actually an Italian guy. And so this is just one of the random posts that was generated by it. So uh, there is a highly popular anonymous QAnon account with 120,000 followers called Greg Rubini. 
So he has claimed to have uh, government sources in the FBI and Trump Tower. Information from Greg Rubini was even cited by one American news reporter, Chanel Rion. Rion described him as, quote, a citizen investigator and monitored source amongst a certain set in the D.C. intelligence community. Yeah, the brain damage set. <laughs> so his viral Twitter threads helped his conspiracy-filled self-published book, The Spy Operations on Trump, uh, climb Amazon bestseller lists after its May 22nd release. But the man behind the Greg Rubini Twitter account is Gregorio Palusa, a 61-year-old Italian sound engineer and marketer with no national security or intelligence credentials. <laughs> Guys, I'm starting to actually be a big uh, proponent of the nuclear family because uh, I think divorce created QAnon. <laughs> now, his real background includes a pattern of unverified claims about his business relationships and expertise and a brief spell as a groupie for a Pink Floyd tribute band. Wait, not what? even as Tight. a groupie? This is what the report said. And, and oh, come on. He has to at least be a, like on tour, like he'd taking care of their tech or something. This is worse than pathetic. He was trying to what? He was being the sixteen-year-old girl to the I, to the older Pink Floyd tribute band man. This well, doesn't like, make any he just sense. Like, maybe like missed his chance, like to see the real Pink Floyd, <laughs> fell in love with their college. music later, and then found this tribute band that was good enough. Oh, and just imagine you're a rock star, and your manager is just like, "Well, here are your are your groupies you could choose from tonight." It's like here's a sixteen-year-old, seventeen-year-old girl. And here's a 61-year-old Italian man, a <laughs> uh, retired sound engineer. Would you like I'll to spend the night with him and take advantage of him? If there was, if there was like a band that that went around do, uh, like playing only like Weezer's The Blue Album and Pinkerton Live, like I would, would, I would stand yeah. them. Like if they did it well, like. But I, would you I, groupie them? Because groupie is specifically like no, that's pretty tough. BuzzFeed News contacted the former business partner of Gregorio, who said that their partnership ended about a decade ago because quote he started to have delusions of greatness, claimed to ask millions of dollars from companies, boasted about having assignments with companies which he had no relationship. Wow. We're going uh, to Luigi. He's being asked about Mario that did a bad thing. <laughs> he started to have a delusions of greatness. <laughs> he wanted to jump on all of the Goombas. So yeah. he's just uh, just uh, this guy who just had a, a career as a serial yeah. liar, alienating people, but he was able to translate that uh, those horrible qualities, those behavioral yeah. issues, into a quite successful social media career. And for my last story, uh, Secret Service fields calls about QAnon kooks. This is a story that we know about thanks to a, a FOIA request by Daily Beast reporter Will Sommer. So according to documents that he acquired, the Secret Service has had multiple encounters with QAnon followers. Oh, hell yes. Thank you, Will, for finally asking the Q through a FOIA request. Yeah. For example, in 2018, a QAnon believer tried to get into the White House because she believed that Q worked there. She told Secret Service agents that Q had sent her a message to come to the White House and that she learned who was going to be arrested in the 40,000 sealed indictments. Of course, that was back when it's 40,000. It's over 100,000 now. So uh, here's a line from a report on that incident. When agents told Redacted she was at the White House and Q did not work at this location, she became very confused. <laughs> I can I can imagine. Oh, that is so sad. It's, it's I'm sorry, sad. We it's like you come to the White House, you totally not... think they're out guys. I gotta see Q. It's like yeah. this Q isn't here. What are you talking about? Like they, it, like her whole reality just cracked in two. She's just got like a checklist. It's like Q, Gerard Butler, uh, just various people she's seen in White House movies. But why didn't why didn't the Secret Service agents go like? And we have and what what are you talking about? Q isn't real. Like what what are you who what are you even talking about? They were like he's not here. So she goes yeah, away yeah, being yeah, like yeah. he's out. She was like he's real. 
Yeah. He just wasn't there. He's he in was, another castle. In another <laughs> castle. Out to lunch. You know, something else they discovered in the FOIA request is that the Secret Service is apparently using Will Sommer's reporting in order to understand QAnon. Wow, mm. that's incredible. That's, Good job, that's Will. That's a real a stab in the back to the QAnon community. A real stab in the back to Travis, in mm. fact, <laughs> to his direct competitor. <laughs> <laughs> Travis is just done. I don't think he's going to even read the next line. In another case, a QAnon believer visited a district office of uh, Florida Congressman Matt Gates to explain that she had a plan to prove that QAnon is real. This QAnon believer thought that she could use the security clearance that she had allegedly obtained while neighing to pose as a reporter to ask the question, which is, you know, who is Q uh, to Trump herself, presumably with help from Gates staff. Uh, the report Wait, reads, obtained quote, obtained while nannying. This is what this is what the report says. So she apparently thought she had acquired a security clearance while nannying for like the Gateses I, By, from the, a child that had it. I, there's no details <laughs> yeah, of what the hell so that good. means. Mary fucking Poppins of the Secret Service. <laughs> the report says, quote, she even volunteered herself to act as a fake reporter and blend in with the press pool. So this concerned Gates staff. <laughs> oh, God. I'm just going to infiltrate a crowd at the White House. This should go well. <laughs> I'm just going to legally introduce myself near the president. Yeah, I mean, in fairness, it's a better plan than just like showing up and being like, hey, I'm here for you. That's good yeah. point. Good point. This 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 person yeah, had. She, she like took extra steps. This is amazing. Yeah. What a great LARP. I mean, honestly, like he's oh, got. Boy. Q has got people trying to get down the chimney into the like White House press pool, you know, to fucking like ask if if their internet spy is real. And like she's, I know, yeah, the treasure hunt has led them there. <laughs> yeah, and and the secret service like, why why are what, boomers? What, what why are, are boomers with little like pieces like, of paper keep walking secret. up to us? Man, but, man, they look like they're panning for gold. <laughs> they, they've just got like fr little frocks on and big sun hats and you know a shovel a shovel over their back. I mean, eventually. If it's developed correctly and it follows the rules of capitalism, it'll be like visiting the houses of the stars. You get on the fucking bus and it's like it's a thing, you know, it's transgressive, but only in that conceptually because you'll just be driven by. I mean, this whole thing is like incredible. I've asked Will Sommer to uh, uh, release images of the uh, the original FOIA docs that he got. And yeah. he said, yes, yeah, so I'm expecting those so soon, Will. But Matt Gates is like, fuck him. It's your yeah. fault people believe this shit, you trash yeah, human being. I know. Oh, yeah, yeah, this yeah. Is, uh, this is why she probably went to Gates. She was yeah. like, oh, it's like, oh, yeah, he's yeah, totally he's good. Pill. Yeah, he's a good one. No, yeah. for sure. Like, you have, you're reaping what you sow, buddy. Antifa and Andy No. Greetings, my sweet little ducklings. This is Annie Kelly, commonly referred to as the People's Princess, speaking to you now. I wanted to do one of our deep dive episodes with you today, because with all this current talk of civil unrest, rioting and Antifa, the so-called journalist Andy No has decided to poke his head above the parapet once again. No, the former editor of Quillette, the internet's most premier race science magazine, has begun doing the rounds on the news, warning about how Antifa super soldiers are coming to destroy your constitution. Andy No, thank you so much indeed for your time. Listen, can I ask you, first of all, the idea that was initially floated by the governor in Minnesota and also by news outlets here of the left that 
right-wing provocateurs, uh, white extremists were behind some of the violence. Have you seen any evidence of that? I've seen no evidence beyond what DHS said was being communicated in a small private telegram channel, regardless of what extremists on the far right may be discussing about how to take advantage of the destabilized nature of what's happening in some cities in America, that is entirely different from the real and documented cases of anarchist communist extremists taking out to the streets and committing acts of rioting, arson, looting, and violence against uh, the state. Now, um, for security reasons, given the attacks on you, I'm not going to say where you are or, or what you've been up to. But from, your, from what you've seen and from what you've monitored, uh, Antifa, how active ha have they been in some of the violence? Obviously, a lot of it's simply anarchy. But in terms of the organised elements of it, where are Antifa? Antifa have been the main agitators in taking what uh, otherwise would be demonstrations and turning it into what they call insurgency uprising. They have made no secret of their desire to, for regime change in the US. They, when they say burn it down, they mean it literally. They want to destroy not just the rule of law and the institutions that make up the United States, but to actually destroy the constitution, the republic itself. Now, as an American, Andy knows not technically within my scope as this podcast's British correspondent, Although you could argue that with that accent, he's certainly trying to be. <laughs> <laughs> see, see, Andy, see who you who you angered. <laughs> it's offensive to all British people. <laughs> but he's someone whose career I followed closely over the last few years, and someone I consider to be a pretty dangerous operator. Andy is actually trying to make a name for himself as a kind of Antifa expert to the press. And what's worse is that people actually seem to be listening to him. Andrew Neil, one of our most senior politics journalists at the BBC, tweeted an article by him which was full of the typical hack journalism and hysteria about the dangers of Antifa that I've come to expect. So I felt at a time when I feel very helpless watching these cycles of police brutality, protest and then more police brutality, I could at least put my talents to good use and provide one small counter to the vast machine dedicated to discrediting the activist left. Think of this segment as the Andy Know is a lying hack and a fraud episode. <laughs> if I'm going to make the case for exactly why Andy's so bad though, I need to start with Antifa and what it actually is. As most people are aware by now, President Donald Trump specifically singled out Antifa in the first address he gave after the protests in Minneapolis on May the 30th. The police officers involved in this incident have been fired from their jobs. One officer has already been arrested and charged with murder. State and federal authorities are carrying out an investigation to see what further charges may be warranted, including against, sadly, the other three. In addition, my administration has opened a civil rights investigation, and I have asked the Attorney General and the Justice Department to expedite it. I understand the pain that people are feeling. We support the right of peaceful protesters, and we hear their pleas. But what we are now seeing on the streets of our cities has nothing to do with justice or with peace. The memory of George Floyd is being dishonored by rioters, looters, and anarchists. 
The violence and vandalism is being led by Antifa and other radical left-wing groups who are terrorizing the innocent, destroying jobs, hurting businesses and burning down buildings. Just a day later, Trump tweeted that the USA will designate Antifa, all caps for some reason, as a terrorist organization on June the 1st. This is a threat that he's made several times before, presumably because Antifa has become the boogeyman for all the American right-wing media pundits he spends all day watching on Fox News. This time, though, it looks like something actually might come of it. Given the Attorney General, William Barr, seemed to confirm that the violence instigated and carried out by Antifa and other similar groups in connection with the rioting is domestic terrorism and will be treated accordingly. This all sounds fine, except for the fact that Antifa isn't an organisation and can't be claimed to be in any meaningful sense. If you watch the news in America, you might get the sense that Antifa had formed sometime in 2016 as a response to Donald Trump, but they didn't. Anti-fascist action, as the term Antifa is short for, only actually refers to a set of strategies for a community to defend themselves against fascists. This doesn't even necessarily revolve around violence. I've taken part in Antifa protests where the most we did was stand around, yell, and sing slightly corny songs about racial solidarity. This is completely regular, business-as-usual part of left-wing organising, which for obvious reasons has played a somewhat bigger role in Europe since the 1930s. So, this isn't to say anti-fascist action never involves violence, because of course it does. But the idea itself is that because history shows us what happens to immigrants, Jews and other vulnerable minorities when fascists or their supporters roll into town, you need to provide a demonstration to show that they're not welcome, using whatever means are available. Of course, it attracts anarchists and black bloc, who once again aren't an organisation, but just the people you see at protests all dressed in black, sometimes they have baseball bats and stuff. Uh, they can look pretty menacing, and it can be frustrating how they seem to have been designated the official Antifa uniform by the media, but in my personal experience, you tend to be a little grateful that they're there once a bunch of Tommy Robinson's purple-faced EDL goons are trying to break through and start a fight. What I'm trying to get across here is that there is no Antifa organisation there's no membership. There's not even some kind of ideological test you can really do to find out if someone believes in the Antifa ideology. Unless you ask them, do you think we should protect our community from fascists, which is probably going to net you a lot of false positives. So why then do media figures continue to talk as if none of that is true? Well, partially, it's because actual, partisan, outside agitators like Andy No continue to be treated as some kind of expert on Antifa, despite making very clear time and time again that he's a right-wing provocateur with a serious grudge. Andy Noe first received attention when he was a graduate student at Portland State University, when he was fired from the college newspaper, The Vanguard. The Guardian journalist Jason Wilson described what happened. Last April, Noe tweeted out a fragment of video from an interfaith panel at the college. It showed a Muslim student saying that, quote, apostates will be killed or banished in an Islamic state. The footage was picked up by a far-right news site, Breitbart, and led to a social media firestorm. The video was exactly the kind of material that has been Breitbart's bread and butter since the college tours of its former tech editor, Milo Yiannopoulos. On-campus exposés of PC or identity politics served up to inflame its right-wing populist and, quote, alt-right readers. Vanguard let no go, explaining their decision by saying that his video had been, quote, published and shared without context in a way that placed a PSU student in significant danger, end quote, and that he had misrepresented the student and the panel. So the problem was that that quote was a misquote. The student was addressing a question which had explicitly referenced the Quranic verse that the speaker was paraphrasing 
which Andy had then edited out of the video in order to make it better catnip for right-wing maniacs. As the editor for Vanguard put it, He initially shared the quote as a standalone clip that summarized the speaker's point to say, quote, apostates will be killed or banished in an Islamic state. This seems straightforward and simple enough, and, from an ethical standpoint, was a dangerous oversimplification that violated very clear ethics outlined by the Society of Professional Journalists. The speaker did not say the words used to caption the video when it was shared. Only later, after being prompted, did No provide further clips showing follow-up dialogue that described the history of Muslims and non-Muslims living peacefully throughout history with an emphasis on innocent lives. This explanation, for obvious reasons, wasn't quite as interesting to the right-wing press as brave journalist <laughs> yeah. fired for revealing the truth about Muslims. And so Andy managed to ring out a think piece for the National Review and also an AMA for the Donald Trump subreddit about how persecuted he had been just for reporting the facts. This editing and omitting video to make them look like they're showing something different to what actually happened, by the way, is a habit of Andy's, and one that continues to get him in hot water, but we'll get to that later. After his brush with national fame, No clearly decided he was going to make a name for himself as an anti-Islamic culture warrior. To achieve this, he decided to write a piece for the Wall Street Journal called A Visit to Islamic England. Oh my! God. <laughs> oh no! I mean, yeah, what a title. I mean, like, if I if what I could, title. I would just have the whole article in here because I cannot stress enough how funny this piece is to anyone yeah. who's either lived in or just even visited London. It's so funny. Yeah. Hey, everybody. Hey, thanks for joining me. I'm Andy No, and we are gonna descend in the Muslimic <laughs> caves underneath London. <laughs> um, but yeah, I've I've, I've uh, just got my uh, favorite extract from that there. I wanted to cut past the polemics and experienced London's Muslim communities for myself. My first visit was to Tower Hamlets, an East London borough that is about 38% Muslim, among the highest in the UK. As I walked down Whitechapel Road, the Adhan, or call to prayer, echoed through the neighborhood. Muslims walked in one direction for Friday prayer, while non-Muslims went the opposite way. Each group kept its distance and avoided eye contact with the other. A sign was posted on a pole, alcohol restricted zone. <laughs> God, what? What? Oh my what God! What a little loser! What a loser! What a little loser! He's just you describing loser. people walking. <laughs> yeah. What a little baby loser! He's like the tension was palpable. It was like one group went to prayer, the other group didn't believe in their God. This, this, this is like on level with accusing Maxine Waters of, of assaulting you when you're a fully grown man. Like this is this is like forever staying embarrassment. So there's a lot of brave reporting of facts in that quote. So I'll just stress for you again. Andy's evidence of the degenerative impact of Muslims in the UK is non-Muslims not walking to prayer. The famously warm and friendly people of London avoiding eye contact and alcohol restricted zones, which actually have nothing to do with religion, but reducing antisocial behavior, given the ancient and well-beloved British tradition of getting drunk and yelling. Yeah, it's also like yeah. in America, you can't drink outside. So here yeah. it wouldn't even be a yeah. question, right? Like yeah, that would be everywhere has that sign here, Andy. Yeah. Yeah, see, the London's a nightmare. People aren't getting drunk in the streets and they're walking around peacefully. I know. It, and listen, when I hear that Muslimic prayer, it's way worse than hearing fucking Gary the Ham be like, oh, <laughs> fucking piss me, <myself." laughs> 
<laughs> uh, the song of my people. Getting made fun of for this final point was such a sore spot for Andy that he had to write an entire article in The Spectator explaining how he hadn't been owned and actually found it all quite funny. The article briefly became a Twitter sensation for the wrong reasons. <laughs> I made a mistake, which was widely picked on. I described the existence of alcohol-restricted oh signs God. in Whitechapel, East London, and implied it was because of the heavy Muslim presence in the area. <laughs> Such signs actually exist in various areas across the UK and have nothing to do with religious sensibilities. Dude, his research is literally uh, an eye cast. That's it. As far as his eye can cast, that is his research. And I mean from a street point. He's not in front of a computer. Forget it. He can't even fucking Google on a phone. He could Google those signs. That's all it would take. You're writing an article. Google the things that you're putting in your article. But of course, he doesn't care about that. It's not about that. Perhaps I was a little tone deaf to the realities of modern Britain. Perhaps I allowed my surprise at how fundamentally Islamified parts of the country have become to color my writing? Certainly, I failed to appreciate just what a sensitive subject I was writing about. I began receiving hundreds and then thousands of messages and comments calling me a racist and Islamophobe. Someone airdropped Mr. Andy No into a KKK rally, tweeted Rabia Shadri, a New York Times best-selling Muslim American writer. Oh my god, he continues to do it in the article. Mike Stooshberry, a British leftist social media commentator, encouraged his 52,000 Twitter followers to direct their ire at me. I'm sorry, did, Mike Stooshberry uh, didn't say his religion. I'm, I'm unclear why you would describe one by his religion and the other without. I'm wondering, <laughs> is Mike also Muslim or not? Or I'm sorry, Andy. Yeah, what is, I'm yeah, just what, trying to hold you to your standards. Yeah, here. let me. Try, I'm trying to figure out like where does Stooshberry <laughs> fall on the line? I mean, and it not could be Jewish, noted, noted non-Muslim Mike Stuckberry, <laughs> Mike Stuckleberry, <laughs> Stuckleberry. Unbelievable! This guy's amazing. They obliged. <laughs> I had touched a nerve. <laughs> like what? <laughs> like you're showing off that you were wrong and it, and people like yelled at you for it. It's right. Yeah, the people is like I was very deceitful and obnoxious and people were irritated at me. Ha huh, ha! Huh, I seem seem to be over the target. <laughs> but to me, what 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 characterizes his work more than anything is just laziness. Yeah, like pure laziness. The the sign thing. Like there's a version of that article that would have served it as a racist dog whistle and not gotten him in any trouble. He just doesn't know <laughs> how to do even like the basics of like checking uh, uh if something might be true like he has he's pure ideology he's what people accuse the left of actually mm -hmm. just pure ideology no consequences uh, uh, uh ends justify the means and if i wrote something wrong and it triggered you who gives a shit because i know i'm right so that that right. underlies his entire writing yeah. if i'm wrong he pointed out that proves that i'm right <laughs> yeah he, well he's always <laughs> right is like the assumption of everything right i'm right thus and then you can start his fucking articles like i was right to br to have the discussion brought up around the yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was I was right too. And I'll be right in the future when I'm captured on tape with the right wing agitators right. playing violence. Yeah, if you mean that British people do tend to get pissed off when an American journalist comes to their country and spreads a bunch of poorly researched lies about them, then yeah, I would say a nerve was definitely touched. But this was an embarrassing misstep for Andy, and I think it's one that he never quite recovered from. I mean, let's not forget, this was in the Wall Street Journal. That's a oh, big publication. Yeah. So he decided to go for a different grift and become the anti-antifa guy. <laughs> Nice. <laughs> uh -huh. So the far right in the United States uh, 
And actually the UK kind of went through a radical turning point in 2016. When before they'd been out of power, it'd sort of been enough to ridicule the campus left as weak and hysterical. Suddenly, as it dawned on them that Trump may actually win, the campus left all of a sudden had to become menacing and dangerous. This meant that right-wing journalism very rapidly evolved from coverage that went something along the lines of, haha, look at all these weird triggered activists with blue hair, to giving their coverage grandiose titles like the Battle for Berkeley. Key to this narrative was pretending that Antifa was some kind of organised militia that had suddenly sprung up out of nowhere in opposition to Trump, as opposed to being the same people that had been there all along. So Andy, ever the opportunist, decided to join in. Now we've all seen the memes about Antifa super soldiers and seen the clips of Fox News hosts getting hysterical and kind of pronouncing it like it's the name of inserted rebels in the Middle East, like Antifa. I don't know if you've noticed that, like Antifa. Yeah. It's a crowded field, and I think if Andy had just decided to do the usual hysterics, I probably never would have noticed him. But he had to go one further, and for Andy that meant literally colluding with Patriot Prayer, a far-right neo-fascist street gang. According to a 2019 interview in the Portland Mercury with an anti-fascist activist who went undercover in Patriot Prayer for two years. No tags along with Patriot Prayer during demonstrations hoping to catch footage of an altercation. Ben says no doesn't film Patriot Prayer protesters discussing strategies or motives. He only turns his camera on when members of Antifa enter the scene. There's an understanding, he says, that Patriot Prayer protects him and he protects them. And Antifa's not doing this with, um, who are all the guys we love from CNN and the... Tapper. Uh, we <laughs> yeah, we're protecting Jake Tapper. Tapper. He's Don got a, Lemon. He's got an escort. Oh. That interview is really interesting, and I recommend you read it if you're interested in this at all. But it comes with a disclaimer that No's lawyer had contacted the newspaper and asked them to retract that claim. They didn't, and they say they stand by their reporting. Perhaps one of the reasons they feel so comfortable doing so is because the undercover activist had got Andy on yeah. video, <laughs> standing and laughing with members of Patriot Prayer in Portland while they plan to attack a bar full of anti-fair activists. The video itself is quite long and confusing, it's lots of people talking at once. So I'll just give Tess Owen writing for Vice's description, which does a pretty good job at summing it up. In the video, about a dozen Patriot Prayer members discuss their plan of attack and assess the wind direction so they don't pepper spray themselves. We're the ones with the weapons here, someone says. There's a hundred of them there, someone else says. There's a hundred of them there, someone else says. I'll take the first three. Multiple people mentioned that Patriot Prayer leader Joey Gibson is on his way with backup. Hope they got 10 big dudes with them, someone says. That'd be nice. <laughs> no is standing with them while they prepare to enter the bar. Cider write it with his phone in hand. But he doesn't film anything and he didn't tweet or write about anything he saw or heard. Wow. So for him, like he didn't really cover the Patriot Prayer side at all. No. Like even in writing. No. Wow. You know what it is? This is like this is like a like a, a cheap fake but for reality, right? Yeah. Like like instead of but instead of like removing like frames for a video, you just sort of like you know remove uh, half of what you see, even if it's relevant to yeah, your story. Yeah. Yeah. The altercation that happened later that day between Patriot Prayer and Antifa was nasty. In one clip, a woman can be seen running up to two Patriot Prayer members before one of them knocks her out cold with a baton. That woman suffered a fractured vertebrae, according to the lawsuit filed against Patriot Prayer by the bar. Andy, in what was probably his most genuinely evil move yet, published her full name, photo, and named her as the person who tried to shut down the James Damore Portland State panel last year by sabotaging and damaging the sound equipment. That's a direct quote. 
He then went on to Tucker Carlson tonight to whine about how violent Antifa had been to him. Andy Nell joins us tonight. Um, Andy, thanks a lot for coming on. So just describe, if you would, what we may have missed in that video. What, why were you sprayed? So yesterday's event was supposed to be a celebration of uh, diversities and workers' rights, but in reality it was a celebration of Marxism, communism, and political violence. Uh, Antifa had mobilized outside the ICE office in an unlawful protest where they shut down streets in a critical area near a hospital. And it was there that they had targeted my camera equipment, and then I was punched in the abdomen. Uh, both times were by different masked individuals. I immediately alerted the Portland police officer who was standing yards away, and he let me know that if they stepped in to intervene, that that would be an escalation and that that could incite the crowd. So he was going to do, that he couldn't do anything, and if I wanted to, I could follow a police report later. Later on the, that day, there was a brawl slash riot outside the Cider Riot bar in, in Portland and it was there that I was singled out and targeted by a masked individual who sprayed me nearly point-blank in the face with bear mace and blinded me. Wow. He, he, he just has that, that passive liar's face, like just that, yeah. almost like mm -hmm. an inner smirk that like is so close to the surface. Um, it's, it's, he's actually in a lot of ways is similar to Tommy Robinson where he like goes in, starts fights, and then it's like, I, I was punched in the stomach. Yeah. <laughs> His specialty is literally doing, like he kettles himself. He, he takes mm -hmm. a camera, he gets up into the, the, the most like Antifa, like, you know, the people who, the two, three people who got the batons or whatever. He tries yeah. to get as close to them and then triggers them by filming them, asking them fucked up questions. They all know him by now, so they're already, they know what he does. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. And then he gets someone, one kid punches him, then another kid punches him, and then someone throws a milkshake at his head, and then he goes off and he films himself and he does Fox News and every other fucking big channel. Yeah. And uh, Tucker Carlson's white supremacist, uh, uh, um, mm -hmm. Tucker Carlson's like, yeah, yeah, they fucking love this guy because he's like a face of diversity. Yeah. And 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 quite frankly, they're using him as a shield. Why he uh, does so well is sort of like a propagandist. He is he is so uh, much more mild mannered than, say, a Tommy Robinson or like an mm -hmm. Alex Jones or someone. Yeah. He's like he's able to like uh, speak, you know, uh, you know, quite, quite, uh, you know, softly about these issues. But knowing that it's going to make his target audience furious. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, and here's how he described the event on Twitter as well. Seemed bizarre to me that it didn't look like Cider Riot was just place Antifa had amassed to have drinks. It looked like they were using business as base to prep attack. So, to summarize, Andy worked extremely hard to avoid ever mentioning that this wasn't just somewhere protested and randomly clashed, and it wasn't Antifa who instigated the fight, but the Patriot Prayer had actively targeted the bar, eventually resulting in a woman's broken neck. Andy was right there when they were planning it and said nothing, preferring to focus instead on the evil, violent communists. Presumably he figured out that if Antifa were responding to provocation, their actions in defending themselves didn't look half as scary. But that is the thought process of an activist, not a journalist, as Andy is so fond of calling himself. When the video emerged, Quillette, Andy's employer at the time's response was pitiful. I remember a particularly hilarious quote from Claire Lehman, his editor, when she insisted that No had left the outlet for other unrelated reasons, which just so happened to coincide with the date that that video was revealed. 
And that Andy actually moved on from Quillette a few weeks ago because he is undertaking bigger and better projects. We just hadn't updated the website and he hadn't updated his Twitter bio until today. Asked about the videos of No standing next to the far-right activists as they planned an attack on their political opponents, Lehman said she hadn't watched the footage. I haven't seen the video, Lehman told the Daily Beast. And here's how a Reason article, uh, Reason for those of you who don't know is a sort of like intellectual dark web outlet, um, tries really, really hard to defend Dandy's actions. No appears in the video only occasionally, he is mostly in the periphery, pacing and incessantly checking his phone. No told Reason that he was scanning the internet for reports from other journalists pertaining to the earlier violence of the day, during which No was punched in the stomach. He was much more interested in his social media feed than the conversations around him. The people are milling around for like probably an hour, he said. I was just like, nothing was happening. I wasn't paying attention to what was being said because there's just a whole bunch of different random conversations. I didn't see any evidence of a violent conspiracy to launch an attack. No said that contrary to some of the media reports, he never laughed at what Patriot Prayer folks were saying. He admits he responded with a faint smile out of pity when someone mentioned that Antifa had them outnumbered. No told me he had no idea they were headed to an Antifa hotspot until they drew near to cite a riot. I was preoccupied on my phone, he said. I asked No if he noticed that one of the women was clutching a brick. He said he didn't see it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the batons on, on show as well. He's right there smiling. It's totally comfortable. Yeah, yeah, there's, yeah. No, there's no question of him feeling completely. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. If you look at the video, that's not even a question. He just yeah, comes he's, up, he he's looks with them. chipper as fuck for a guy yeah. who got punched so hard. I love that his like defense is just like, no, no, I'm just a shitty journalist. <laughs> I just don't pay <laughs> yeah. attention to I anything just, around yeah, me. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Uh, I'm just not very perceptive, and I got I'm look kind of. I missed I missed the feed. real story about the fucking yeah. far right planning violence. He's just trying to answer <laughs> the question: stupid or evil? You know, he yeah. just wants you to, to to come to a specific conclusion. So you see, even though that video certainly looks as if Andy was privy to information about the attack being planned by Patriot Prayer, and that he not only omitted this information but went on to dox and attack one of the gang's victims, he couldn't possibly have done that because he had his AirPods in the entire time. Yeah. It's not just activists on the street that Andy's decided need vigilante justice either. When he was still an editor, Quillette published a piece by Owen Linehan called It's Not Your Imagination, The Journalists Writing About Antifa Are Often Their Cheerleaders. This piece presented itself as an intensive database study using, quote, a mix of network mapping and linguistic analysis, end quote, to prove that journalists who covered Antifa were secretly sympathetic to their cause. But as Shane Burley and Alexander Ross, who was named in the piece, wrote, This idea was quickly dispelled. Linehan merely grouped journalists who followed at least 16, quote, verified Antifa accounts and combined that with his interpretation of some of their work. In fact, as another target of the piece noted, a lot of the accounts mentioned in the data weren't even journalists at all. In a dragnet of journalists who were purported to cover the far right and who were allegedly doing a terrible job of doing so, Linehan included two academics, several publicly identified activists, including Chelsea Manning, a hip-hop artist, and one labor reporter slash heavy metal music critic. It's clear that he and his pals just dredged up whichever high follower, openly leftist, verified Twitter accounts they could find, and then ended up catching a number of reporters who do actually cover the far right in their Net. In an effort to create a smokescreen for their smear campaign, they focus solely on those people in their justifications, neglecting to mention the rest of us, who simply hold political views they dislike or are vocal about anti-fascism. 
Gee, but I just wonder why a real journalist who's actually doing the real work would fear fascism. What happens <laughs> What happens to them classically when fascism rises? What happened next was predictable. The article was circulated on the neo-Nazi website Stormfront, the journalist mentioned in it received death threats, and a video was posted by the neo-Nazi terror group Atomwaffen Division called Sunset the Media, which included several of their names and finishes with a quote from the network's leader saying he won't disown any potential vigilantes. Members of Atomwaffen Division, I should say, have been responsible for at least eight murders. Andy, along with Claire Lehman, began vigorously denying that the video existed, and when presented with proof that it did, suggested it was coincidental to the article. When you do enough research on Andy, you start to notice that this is a pattern of his. He publishes inflammatory, suggestive pieces, or sometimes just Twitter threads on people he dislikes, who often don't ask for the limelight. His audience takes the bait and floods them with harassment, threats, even calls to their family and workplace, and Andy then claims the victims are either making up the response for attention, or are drawing connections that aren't there. A particularly egregious example of this is an op-ed he wrote for the New York Post, in which he named a local trans woman in Portland who he claimed was faking having been a victim of a recent hate crime. All of this very much came to a head on June the 29th, 2019, when No turned up to anti-fascist demonstrations at Proud Boys Rally in Portland. Videos show No being attacked by anti-fascist protesters, having a milkshake thrown over his head, getting egged and punched. It made national news, and not just in the conservative outlets you'd expect, and it's not difficult when you see the video to see why. The video is admittedly hard to watch. Whatever you think of Andy, you're seeing another human being, alone and clearly scared, get mobbed and hurt. Some people have claimed that he was faking his later injuries or pretending to have got a brain hemorrhage from the incident, but I think that's probably wishful thinking. It's not hard to see how someone could be very seriously hurt by the attack. Besides that, Joseph Bernstein, who I think is a good reporter, is independently corroborated that Andy did indeed have to go to the hospital. But what I think gets lost in a lot of discussion, and this is partially down to Andy and others' misrepresentation of Antifa, is just how scared those protesters are of him, and rightly so. I watched every single bit of Andy's streamed footage from that day, which he uploaded directly to Twitter, and it's clear that he's not doing journalism, at least not in the way that term is traditionally used. He stalks around the crowd, takes long lingering shots of people dancing, he doesn't ever interview anyone, and he doesn't even answer his audience's questions. He also like lingers a lot on people who look particularly non-conformist or goofy and like tries to zoom in on their faces as well. Yeah, the good two minutes of hate kind of thing. Yeah. At several times, because it's a live stream, his audience ask him, why are they, meaning Antifa, there? And he doesn't answer. It's obvious though that he's reading their comments because when one of his viewers urged him to call that female one fat, he swung back the camera to look at her. But you'd think if you were there in a journalistic capacity, that, that would be a very easy question to answer, right? That is, unless you weren't actually interested in Antifa's activist motivations or educating your audience, and viewed your journalism instead as a vehicle of vigilante punishment for them. Activists, particularly those in Portland, are scared of Andy because they know he doesn't need to physically hurt them to ruin their lives. He's proven time and time again that he considers any action whatsoever justifiable, up to and including violence. And while I hate the idea of anyone getting hurt, it's not difficult to see why a tiny proportion of that huge crowd might feel justified in trying to get him out of there using exactly that. As I've tried to stress throughout this episode, 
Antifa isn't an organized group. There wasn't a committee meeting to decide to do this. It's a set of self-defense strategies for use on the street. Now, Andy claims very personal reasons for being so anti-Antifa. There's gotta be a better way to shorten that, but I can't think of one. Antifa are masters at doublespeak. It goes from the name and it flows down. They call themselves anti-fascists, anything but. They're a movement made up of radical extremists, anarchists, and communists, and they're agitating for a political revolution in the United States. They truly believe that they're part of the vanguard to achieve this. And violence is not a bug, it's a feature of the movement. My name is Andy Ngo, and I'm an editor at Quillette magazine. You might recognize me as the person who was beaten and robbed by Antifa in Portland. But what you may possibly not know is how my family's experience informs and intersects with how I cover Antifa. Both my parents are from the former South Vietnam. They actually lived through a Marxist revolution. My father, as a young man, was sent to a re-education camp. My mother, as a teenager with her siblings and entire family, were relocated to a labor camp. Antifa views the United States as an irredeemable country and concept. They abhor the principles that make up the foundations of liberal democracy. If they were to achieve their goal, there wouldn't just be the destruction of the state, there would be the silencing of all oppositional views. They're authoritarian militants who believe that only a Marxist revolution could bring about equity. In Portland, it's a progressive monoculture, and you're more likely to see open socialists and communists than you would even just a regular Republican or conservative. This context made me fascinated to want to learn more about Antifa. I knew that there was more meaning behind the street violence. And indeed, the more that I've dug into it, the more I'm disturbed by what I find. The movement as we understand it now is very young. We don't know where the funding comes from. We don't know exactly how many people is part of this movement. This requires academic research, requires research in think tanks, and it requires authorities to investigate. And that's why I'm speaking up. An Antifa militant in Tacoma, Washington, nearby Portland, Oregon, firebombed a government facility and allegedly tried to make a 500-gallon propane tank explode. He came with a rifle and he was killed in the process. We have a casualty now, and he left behind a manifesto for us to clearly see what his beliefs are. On the 29th of June, I was beaten and robbed by Antifa. Their attack ended up with me getting diagnosed with a brain hemorrhage. I'm going to continue to suffer for some time as I work on my recovery. I wasn't the first to be beaten, and I won't be the last. Now, I don't at all doubt Andy's family's experiences and the inherited pain that must involve. But in the context of his career, it strikes me as a little confusing. If he's on a mission to prevent the Marxist revolution happening in the States, why did he start out his career as the anti-Islam guy? I mean, obviously a journalist can have several different interests at once, but isn't it noteworthy that he suddenly wasn't so interested in Muslims anymore when he got humiliated writing about them in the Wall Street Journal? Mm, yeah, <laughs> I'd say. <laughs> what seems a little more likely to me is that Andy No wanted to be a right-wing celebrity journalist. It's a lucrative position if it's done right. 
And he might probably have got there from a sensationalized story about being fired from a student newspaper for telling the truth about Islam, to a think piece at a national review, to a few pieces on the fall of Europe to Islam in some mainstream conservative publications. He'd probably have got a staff writer job at one of those eventually. But it didn't work out. He messed up and embarrassed both himself and presumably his Wall Street Journal editor. So he switched to the street beat, where legions of adoring and partisan fans on social media are always ready to handle your criticism for you. I find this quote from Joseph Bernstein's interview with him particularly revealing. I asked Noah why video was so important to his work. Why not just bring a notepad and a pen? It had to do, he said, with the exigencies of freelancing. There was an appetite on social media, where his audience lived, for the kind of video he captured. Video, after all, had made him a national figure. Text was for staff writers at reputable publications, he said, the kind of places he said he hoped to work one day. If you want to be able to make it, he said, you need a video component. You have to see it to believe it. He's like a shittier version of like Jake Gyllenhaal in Nightcrawler. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. If he, had, if he had the courage, he'd be a stringer. Yeah. Now, it's much harder to fact check a video than an article. This is true even when, as Andy has done several times, you deliberately edit the video to look like it shows something different to what happened. Sharp social media critics noticed, for example, how he cut a video of some Antifa protesters throwing a hammer at some Proud Boys on a bus. Somewhere on the cutting room floor, Andy had left behind the beginning, where one of the Proud Boys had brandished the hammer at the activists, who'd wrestled it off him before throwing it back. Yeah, but of course... Just incredible. <laughs> oh my incredible. god. The guy comes at, rushing at this bus with a fucking hammer. They basically kind of collapse around him and get the thing back at him. And then it gets thrown back and Andy's there. Record. <laughs> like, incredible guy. But of course, that didn't stop the MAGA train on social media from running with Andy's version of events. Now, after his brush with fame for getting beaten up and Antifa in the news again, Andy may actually get his wish of writing for a respectable publication. Despite leaving Quillette since that video of him colluding with Patriot Prayer came out, he's still the supposed journalist who got roughed up by Antifa, and that's a pretty lucrative angle at this time of mass civil unrest. He's even writing a book about them called Unmasked, Inside Antifa's radical plan to destroy democracy, wow. which I have no doubt will be credulously reported on by liberals and conservatives alike. Listen, when <laughs> I have been in the streets next to people like this, they've always told me I don't like voting. <laughs> and I don't I'm out here because I don't believe that people's voice should be heard <laughs> and that uh, large groups don't matter. Um, what I care about matters. That's why I'm out here with we uh, can identify me and uh, I'm currently. Just just an inverted version of reality. And, and I think that's what's so fucking disturbing is that this mm. guy came at just the right time so that he he would have. There, I think there is a time at, during which Andy would have been batted down by the entire establishment, even yeah. the fringe, mm. even the yeah. fringe would have batted him down just for pure incompetence. Mm. Yeah, he would be like yeah. forced to maybe like guest on Alex Jones. But that, now it's that'd like be the level he'd be on. Yeah, no, you can have the proof yeah. and you can just say it's actually the opposite. And it, and it doesn't matter because the portion that you're you're tailoring your content for they're like preconditioned. They're not going to look into it. And if they do look into it, they're going to say that whatever uh, is written about you is propaganda anyway. So there's no, they're yeah. so radicalized. There's no giving them any kind of different or new data. And yeah. he knows that. And it's, it's, it is incredibly lucrative to, mm. to pander to the, maybe like I'd say, yeah, 30, 35% of the country that just wants to just, just whack off about like the communists being, being, yeah. you know, hacked down as they try to take over uh, the president uh, and take away their guns or whatever. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> really? I think that, yeah, 
uh, I think you nailed it, Annie. I think he's really more of like a savvy marketer. Is that is that he wanted yeah. to to get get on the the uh, the right wing grift train, mm. but um, but in addition to the problem with like being humiliated in the pages of the Washington po- in the uh, Wall Street Journal, was that he also um, the the anti Islam market is too saturated. You mm. gotta compete with your yeah. Laura Loomers. Yeah. You gotta compete with your uh, you know Tommy Robinsons. Yeah. You gotta, there's like your your Pamela Gellers. There's so many. You of gotta them. not totally fuck up your first shot at a big yeah, article. Exactly. You can't, yeah, exactly. That's uh, the bottom line. Right out of the gate. You can actually do it, but he just fucked up. I don't know. But, uh, amazingly but that, on that article. The anti-Antifa market was wide open. Oh, yeah. yeah. And so there wasn't yeah. a lot of people taking that angle, so he just found a gap in the market and uh, filled it. Boom. Yeah. Proof yeah. of Antifa, dude. He's, he's, in America, he's a, a regular Seth Abramson. In America, you can stack two antis. That's how it works. <laughs> uh, antis are like those chairs that are designed to, to fit into each other. Stack as many as you fucking want. <laughs> Who knows what the result is? Perhaps it's mathematics. Perhaps it isn't. The laws of binary. Yeah, I you know I don't describe myself as Antifa. I'm just anti anti Antifa. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's right. That's right. That is right. So I wanted to get this episode out here to spread a little information on who Antino is and how he operates, because it feels as if not enough people know it and continue to make the mistake of treating him like a good faith actor, or even worse, an actual journalist. He's an expert using a situation to his advantage, and this ludicrous reporting of outside agitators to discredit the very real pain and anger of the current protests gives him an excellent way in. Yeah. Yep. It, it is like the time for vultures. Yeah. Right? So yeah. don't listen to them as like a valid uh, I guess, person with a seat at the table of like uh, adult discussions because mm. yeah. that's something that you earn by being honest mm. and Andy has done none of that. So yeah. there's no, you're right, the faith's not there. Don't sit down and have a talk with him. Don't take his information. It's like Project Veritas. Yeah. yeah. You yeah. know, uh, once in a while, part of his giant lie, like, you know, the clock will be right uh, uh, once a day and, uh, and, and that's it. So that doesn't mean anything about him uh, and it certainly doesn't mean you should listen to him. You know, I think that, that that's, it's all, po- it's poison. Throw it all out. Mm. It's, it's just rotten. It's rotten. Return this duckling. <laughs> no, what really struck me, you know, listening to uh, Trump talk about Antifa is that how differently he talks about uh, white supremacists. For example, the uh, Tree of Life synagogue shooter, who is mm-hmm. uh, it was a man who uh, injured uh, a synagogue and s- killed 11 um, uh, worshiping Jews. He also wrote his ideology on his weapon. Yes, exactly. Uh, pretty, and, pretty and also, also, also on Gab. So it was. It's very clear what 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 motivated this action. It was, what motivated this action was the Great Replacement theories, the belief mm-hmm. that Jews are uh, basically engineering the extinction of the white race. Mm-hmm. And so this is why he committed this mass slaughter. And he was asked. Uh, Trump was asked in an interview. I'm just wondering if you think that this administration, this Congress, have done all that they could have done to prevent this kind of tragedy. And Trump responded, it's a tremendous mental illness problem. Let's face it. This person was just terrible. And this is what happens. These are sick people. Very, very sick people. I was here and I saw and all we all suffered together. I'd never seen anything like it. At the same time, you had some incredible brave people that really stopped it. Um, so, so <sighs> wow, yeah, that is very stark compared to that insane speech. It is because exactly, exactly. Because so, again, it's unambiguous what motivated this slaughter. He was a white nationalist. He hated these Jews because he thought he was fl- they were flooding the country with Mexicans who he hated. <laughs> yeah, That's yeah. why he did it. It's not. Yeah. It's not. And, but instead, he's oh, it's very mentally ill. It's very sad. Very sick person. Sick person. 
listen. But this this is like, oh, this is Antifa uprising who are who are doing all the looting. It's yeah, exactly. It's it's so fucking obvious uh, what Trump you know, values based upon what he condemns and what he excuses as mental illness. Thank you for listening to another episode of the QAnon Anonymous podcast. Please go to patreon.com slash QAnon Anonymous and subscribe for $5 a month to get a whole second episode every single week. Plus, wow. plus access to our entire archive of premium episodes. There are over 75 of them currently. That's right. uh, when you subscribe, you help us stay advertising free and editorially independent. We usually stream twice a week at twitch.tv slash QAnon Anonymous. Uh, so come over there, hang out, hang out with We got to figure out a way to get fellas. Annie on a stream. Stream, even oh, though she's yeah, like Annie eight hours ahead. Show. You have to stream it. We're going to figure uh, it out I someday. Would, I would love to stream. Do, do I have to? We need her to take amphetamine. <laughs> <laughs> do I have, the only way. Do I have to game to be on a stream? How does it work? No, no. no. We just talk and, and hang out. Oh, okay, yeah, we, cool. we actually don't do any route. We, we, we go down. Uh, we usually share the screen. We go down like rabbit holes. Like we'll read stuff or we'll watch videos. We'll like watch, and yeah. yeah Cookie videos. Yeah. We'll we, cover we, stuff loosely that doesn't make it onto the show. Oh, nice. It's good shit. And it, yeah, and for and for everything else, we've got QAnonAnonymous.com. Listener, until next week, may the deep dish bless you and keep you. It's not a conspiracy. It's fact. And now, today's auto cue. President Trump declared Antifa a domestic terrorist organization. I have a message for Antifa terrorists. Stay the hell out of Northwest Georgia. You won't burn our churches, loot our businesses, or destroy our homes. I'm Marjorie Green, and I approve this message.